Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. Now, if you're looking to purchase a property that's not going to auction, how do you create a strategy to put your offers in place? making sure that you're not overpaying, you're creating a strong proposal to the selling agent and to the vendor and securing it for as cheaply as possible. Well, it all requires a purchasing or offering strategy. So to walk us through a strategy, we're talking to Matt Chamberlain from Chamberlain Brown. He talks us through how to assess buyer activity and interest in the property, how to look at the motivations of the vendor and even discover them, and also the motivations of the selling agent and how you can leverage all those three components into building a strategy to purchase this property against the competition for the best possible price. It's a great interview with Matt and I'm sure you're going to learn something from it. Here's Matt. Matt Chamberlain, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. It's always uh, always a pleasure to have a good conversation about property with you. Well, let's try and make it a second good conversation. And uh, I've got no doubt that you'll hold up your side of the bargain. Today, we're talking about a, a four-step guide to setting a negotiation strategy. Now, we're specifically talking about private treaty sales rather than auction, which we discussed previously. Um, but you've come up with this four-step guide that's going to be helpful for, of course, the buyer's agents within your team, but also the individual listeners that are looking to transact potentially on a, on a property that's on market themselves. What uh, Run us through this, this system and, and give us a bit of a lay of the land. Yeah, thanks, mate. I think um, before we get into the, the finer details of it, the, the most important part of um, building this framework for, for our buyer's agents and, and even using it as a, a listener is to help you feel uh, as prepared as possible going into um, what can be uh, a negotiation on probably the biggest purchase of your life. So uh, that's the, the the crux of why you'd want to uh, develop a negotiation strategy yourself uh, or follow a process so that uh, you don't get into a situation where you're making a bit of a rash decision, maybe a, an emotional decision uh, that can, uh, some people, uh, cost them you know tens of thousands of dollars. So. Uh, to give you a, a bit of a snapshot or an overview, um, this uh, part of our process would be when um, we've walked through the property, we love what we see, um, we've then done our area due diligence, you've checked things like your building and pest inspection, uh, you've had the contract reviewed, so you, you're in a position where you're really informed. It's now starting to talk about uh, the dollars and cents of the deal. Before and, we jump into that, Matt, if I might yeah. just as an aside, ask you the question, on average, do you think that people have a negotiation strategy if they're not working with a professional, right? Because I, I'm guessing that the strategy is, okay, it's on the market for say 850, we're going to offer 820 and see what happens. And, and that, maybe I'm being a bit unfair, but it seems to be like that's probably where the average strategy starts and ends, would you say? I agree 100%. <laughs> um, that's right, and and um, you know if the the majority of buyers, if if they did want to, to implement a bit of a strategy, um, chances are they're probably going to the real estate agent for advice, uh, which Ouch. can be, yeah, can be that uh, that extra thorn in the backside. Yeah. So, just to be clear, 
let's not do that, dear listener, uh, because as I think we've mentioned a number of times on the show, they don't they don't work for the buyer. And yes, sometimes they like to keep a, a list of of buyers, and they will call you and say something's popped up that it's you know it's it's matched your your brief, as it were, but. Their motivation is not for you to buy the property. The motivation is to sell it because they probably have the listing that that matches you. So I'd caution people uh, to to speak to a sales agent around the strategy to secure the property. Absolutely, and, and it's actually um, part of uh, our uh, negotiation strategy. So um, we're going to cover that in a little bit. Yeah. All right. So sorry to interrupt. You have the floor. <laughs> That's all right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> so the the four parts of developing a negotiation strategy. Uh, the first one is it's really important to assess uh, other buyer activity on the property. Yep. Uh, of course, we all know that if there's one purchaser looking to purchase the property, they have more leverage than if there's two, three, four, or, or 10 purchases. Yep. Um, so it's really important to understand that. Uh, the second thing is the uh, diving into the vendor's motivation for selling. Yep. And I, I'd imagine this probably isn't too much news, uh, new news to your uh, listeners, uh, but we'll dive into the nuances of, of how to actually gather that information uh, yep. uh, in a moment. And then the third thing is your real estate agent's motivations for selling the property, which kind of leads into the conversation we had earlier. And then the last thing is bringing those first three things, which are more of like your art form components of the negotiation into the um, the data side of a negotiation, which is your understanding of what the property is worth in a fair market. Okay. So when you're doing uh, an appraisal of the value, or let's say even someone at home can do a comparative market analysis, they can go, this property is a four bedroom in this location of this sort of standard, and these three properties sold within the last few months, and this one's a little bit better, this one's a little bit worse, and everyone can kind of come to a rough idea, hopefully, of where it should sit, but you're overlaying those those three points. The you know how hot the market is how many other people are around whether the uh, it seems like the owner is in a in a sort of a rush to sell and whether that agent is kind of wanting to put a deal together quickly which you can get a sense for and 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 that would sort of indicate where the value sits based on those factors in concert would you say with the comparables absolutely absolutely because the the goal of asking the right questions to answer those first three points is to identify whether or not there's a point uh, of information that you can leverage, which will result in a cheaper purchase price. Yep. So um, a great example, we'll, we'll go through them individually, but think about um, you've got a, uh, a seller who has purchased a property elsewhere and they need to sell their property uh, to access the funds to pay for their new purchase. Yes. Now that particular seller is under a time uh, schedule, yeah. And depending on that time schedule, uh, and also the other buyer activity on the property, we might be able to position a negotiation strategy and um, our offers to satisfy that need of a quick sale, but in our favour when it comes to the purchase price. It begs the question: If you were the sales agent, would you tell potential purchasers that your vendor is under the duress of the time 
that they need to sell that property, otherwise they're not going to be have uh, you know have the funds to settle on that property. I mean, that seems mad that that competitive information would be given away by the person that's really supposed to be advocating for them. That's that's a really good question. I think the the answer to that is every real estate agent, um, in our experience, operates their you know their sales strategy and their negotiations in a very slightly different way. So some real estate agents, again, coming back to the personal incentive, um, might know that that's a defined, um, I guess, decision-making uh, timeframe on their seller's part. So sharing that with purchasers might actually help them achieve the sale quicker. Yep. But again, that's a personal incentive, maybe not necessarily in uh, in the seller's best interest. So mm. um, yeah, so, some, some agents are forthcoming, others, um, it's much harder to get that information, but if you ask the right questions, you're generally going to still be able to get the right answers, um, mm. and that's where it turns into that art form, right? Um, yes. You know, every buyer probably has read an article that says, "I'll, you know, ask the seller or ask the real estate agent why they sell the seller is selling." Yeah. Uh, but our our team knows that you've got to dig and dig and dig, and that might be over three or four or five conversations and asking indirect questions. That will help the real estate agent share a bit more than that, yeah. than they might want to. Interesting. You're a, you're a sneaky little man, Matt Chamberlain, <laughs> but we're, we're all going to be the beneficiaries of your sneaky tactics as you share your secret herbs and spices. Um, starting with assessing buyer activity. So if you go to an open house and there's 100 pairs of shoes out the front, that's a fairly good indication that the property uh, is is of interest. Uh, but how else can you can you see that and why is it important? So um, a couple of things, if we talk about before you've um, spoken to the real estate agent, so just from, from your uh, walking through the property, the shoes is a good example. Um, the line of people out the front of the property, usually it's really busy at the start of an inspection and, and dissipates. So if you've got a line, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the inspection timeframe, that's another sign that it's um, there's a fair few people coming through, uh, and then um, the the other thing, or, or stepping forward to having the conversation with the real estate agent and trying to understand other buyer activity, it'd be asking questions like, uh, "How much inquiry have you had on this property?" Yep. Um, real estate agents love to tell their owners how many people have walked through, and they talk in terms of groups of buyers. Yep. So you might have mum, dad, uh, and the kids. That's considered one group. Yep. Uh, so not necessarily four people, but um, you know those those numbers of buyers through open homes can change depending on the time of year, uh, the type of market. Uh, so for instance, here in Newcastle in spring at the moment, um, real estate agents are really confident to tell you that there's probably 30, 40 people walking through open homes. Yeah. Compared to in winter, um, with a few interest rate rises, um, you know, a bit closer to home, they would have been lucky to get 10, 15 people through yeah. properties. So that's – oh, go ahead. You can, see, you can see some of those analytics online as well with the, the listings, like the number of views to a property, or is that sort of only behind the scenes that the selling agent can see? Uh, it's a really good question. If if it's available online, it's something that we haven't been able to find ourselves. Um, in um, I guess in reflection of that, it's 
more likely or better to get that information directly from the real estate agent. Then you know it's a you know it's a true fact. So if you think about it though, we're we're still talking really high level buyer interest. Um, you can have a hundred people walk through a beautiful home, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a hundred people purchasing it. It might mm-hmm. just be that it was a an iconic property and everyone wanted to have a sticky beat. Yeah, or Daniel Johns used to live there, so everyone wants to kind of come through and pretend that they have fifteen million dollars to buy it just to get a just to get <laughs> exactly a whiff right. of the fame, right? Exactly right. So the next step to, to understanding your buyer activity is um, asking the agent questions that will hopefully get you the answers on uh, serious buyer interest. A good question is how many contracts have you issued to prospective buyers? Mm-hmm. That's usually a step. Uh, beyond the the initial open home conversation that the real estate agent um, will send a contract. Uh, and then, you know, if you're feeling cheeky, if you, if you know the right way to ask it uh, and you have a relationship with the agent, you might be able to identify how many offers have been made and, and some agents uh, and some relationships that we have, we might actually get uh, the exact figures. Yeah, right. The exact figures for the offer? Correct, yeah. Oh, so not just... You know, there's four offers, but there's there's four offers. The first one's exit. I mean, that's um, yeah. It goes to show the value of the relationships, and I, I guess they they can always say no, right? So there's no harm in asking. And are you ever surprised by the amount of detail that you're given? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can think of one uh, one at the moment. We've had a, an agent... Uh, called me back yesterday with a counter offer from the seller and he said look the seller's at um at 1.4 um the circumstances around it um I think you can do a bit better than that and he's actually really worried about um moving out of the property after he sells it um he's um, been I guess using the property uh for, for him and his family uh, for a period of time and he's really worried about not just himself but his mother and where she's going to live afterwards yeah. So he actually suggested it to me. My my thinking was going that way anyway, but knowing we're purchasing for an investor, um, we're going to add a few terms to our next offer. Mm-hmm. Of course, well below that 1.4 mark, but that would be really advantageous and valuable to that uh, seller yep. that um, that are going to help us get a better purchase price. And it, it actually leads on to um, that second point. Now, when you say yesterday, this episode, we're not going to say when it was recorded because... Uh... <laughs> There could be a real estate agent that will recognise themselves in this story, but we appreciate you you sharing that. Um, when it comes to the motivation of the vendor, you've, you've sort of touched on it there. That really indicates, I suppose, their willingness to put a deal together quickly and perhaps their appetite for selling below the advertised price or even if we know that offers are going well over the advertised price because we're in a, we're in a hot market. I mean, what what can you? How would you pivot based on the advice from from the landlord? Uh, sorry, from the selling agent about the motivations. Uh, it comes it comes down to 
experience in knowing what levers you can pull uh, and how valuable they are to individuals. Um, but I think um, the other the other part to this is is probably adding a a grain of salt to everything you hear as well. Um, sometimes there's, of course, the, the real estate agent, a good real estate agent is representing the, the seller's best interest. So they might be sugarcoating a few things as well. Uh, so so it's always um, it's always important to um, take what you hear with a grain of salt, but apply your own thinking and some some other opinions to it before you, you make a decision. Yeah. When, when you're negotiating on a property, what's kind of the music to your ears when it comes to the vendor's motivation. So what is something that a sales agent could say and you're like, oh, yes? <laughs> well, to be honest, anything outside of price. So, if, right. you know, if you ask and, and um, the agent says, oh, look, they're just, you know, they're selling because they're, um, they're just looking for the highest price. Maybe it's an investment property. Um, they've just cleared it out uh, and wanting the highest price. You go, okay, great. Well, we're in the same kettle of fish as everyone else. Um, and there's not too much we can do to, to pull uh, the strings here. But uh, anything else could be a range of wild, wonderful um, things that come out of their mouth. It could be um, one that stands out is a um, an elderly owner had lived in a property for a very long time. Uh, she was transitioning out of that property into retirement care, and she was really, really concerned once again with that transition period. So yep. um, every other buyer. Um, assumed that they only wanted uh, the highest price. We added an extended settlement period in uh, our offer and it was actually accepted well. It wasn't actually the highest offer. Uh, it was right. the best and final situation. So that's one. Um, another one would be uh, leasebacks, uh, for instance, short um, settlement timeframes. Um, commitment elsewhere can also be a, a pretty favourable thing to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't always have to be about price. But if you get a sniff that it's not just about price, there is something that has some negotiation room between you and the seller, then that's where I suppose you are probably more adept at pivoting or putting together these terms compared to sort of the average market that might not understand how valuable that can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it can definitely give you the edge on um, two offers, same price, uh, one offer being accepted over the other uh, and adding to that, right? Yep. Two offers, one being actually a bit higher, but having poorer um, terms in the seller's eyes. Um, we've seen it time and time again where the seller actually goes for the lower, the lower offer. Mm. Now, getting to agents' motivations, this this is a tricky one for me because I suppose I like to think about everything in a vacuum and the agents the agent is has a fiduciary responsibility to provide the best outcome for the owner but agents are human and I heard a story the other day about an agent that had four auctions scheduled for a particular Saturday and a buyer's agent got wind of that and they said let's try and wrap this up you know before we get to that weekend and and basically their motivation was to not be as flat out on that particular day so that kind of influenced the outcome for the owner now to me that kind of sounds horrifying as someone that might sell a property um but do you see things like that happen and is, is that a is that a real occurrence that happens regularly 
I, I would actually say that it's it's not a regular occurrence, and th that probably speaks to the the um, the broader industry in that the majority of real estate agents, you know, hand on heart, do hold their sellers' um, uh, interest in their heart, you know, or um, uh, best interests at heart. But there are usually circumstances that typically seem to be seem to be time based. So it might be a, a product of being in the right place at the right time. That's a great example. Um, yeah. The real estate agent had uh, some some challenges that they needed to work through. Um, another example would be where a selling agent, um, so real estate agents typically have a, a contract with the seller that has an exclusive term. It's a period of time that the the real estate agent uh, can sell that property for. Now, if that term expires, then the owner of that property can either take the property off the market, um, exit that contract, or decide to list their property with another real estate agent. So yep. from the real estate agent's perspective, uh, if they're getting close to the end of that time frame, they might be standing down the back or staring down the barrel of uh, having done all of this work for a seller, not having achieved a sale, uh, and essentially having worked for free. So... Um, that can be one motivation where, and we've heard it a few times, where a real estate agent says, look, um, I need to uh, convince the seller, the seller to stay with me because our agreement is about to expire. So if you can help me uh, keep the seller um, kind of committed to the deal or um, committed to the conversation, then that's actually going to be a strong incentive for me as an agent to keep this thing alive. And so agents would, would disclose that to you directly? Uh, sometimes they don't disclose it. Other times you can you can figure it out based right. on how long the property's been on the market for as well. Yeah. So are there typical engagement terms? Is it typically sixty days or ninety days where they would would have this agency agreement for? It it's actually a very big negotiation point for some real estate agents. Right. Sometimes an agent might list a property with a vendor off market. Uh, and the vendor has said, look, I'll give you seven days to bring buyers through the property. And if you can bring me on an offer, we'll entertain it. Um, standard uh, agency agreements um, could be 90 days. Some could be six months. Um, but, yeah, it really, really depends. So there's, there's not uh, cut and dry. Mm. And I suppose if we get back to the incentive of the agent, the incentive agent is to is to put a deal together. And if they're getting paid... 1.9% or 2.5% or whatever it is, an, an increase in offer of $10,000, what comes back in their pocket is very, very marginal, right? So the main motivator is the sale. Um, so is there anything outside of you know, the expiry of that agreement that kind of speaks to that motivation? Uh, some, some real estate agents uh, might list a property that's a low value compared to the rest of the properties that they typically sell. Yep. Um, so naturally, they're doing, real estate agents generally do um, take the same process for every sale. Uh, but if they're going to be earning less on a property because of its value compared to what they typically uh, sell at, that could be a motivation. You know, it's it's less worth less of my time and focus. Right. One. Um, another one could be a volume agent, which is kind of feeding into that, but it's an agent who's very, very successful in their area, um, is um, listing a lot of properties. So again, they just naturally have less time to dedicate to each uh, client. The good agents, of course, have really great teams around them, so that sometimes can be um, can be negated. But um, those would be two other uh, things just to to think of. 
Yeah. Okay. So to to put it all, uh, put a nice little neat bow around the whole thing. Once we know the the buyer activity, the motivations of the vendor, and the motivations of of the sales agent, how do we take that information to formulate a strategy that we think is going to make us the winning party? Aha! Uh-huh, you're asking for the secret sauce. Please, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, it it, um, it then really comes down to your um, the, the way you synthesize all of that information. Uh, mm-hmm. We could go through this whole exercise and realize that the seller's motivation is price. So then the biggest thing that I would be leaning on with my clients is that fair market value assessment, the, yep. the rational opinion on what the property's worth uh, and leaning into the real estate agent's uh, feedback on other buyer activity. Yep. Uh, again, in that particular situation, highest motivation is price, but there's no other buyers interested. That would uh, suggest that I'd start my offers lower. Uh, if I had a vendor's motivation that was a quick sale uh, and there was two other purchasers um, that had made offers or interested, then I would prioritise a quick process of making an offer uh, and making the process between having an offer accepted and exchanging contracts as frictionless as possible. So that means on my part, I'm getting all of my ducks in a row. I'm not causing headaches for the agent or the seller through that process. It really comes down to the finer details of it. Yeah. So I guess the actual strategy itself depends on the interplay between all of those different components. But I guess the main message of this podcast is you've got to understand those before you can formulate any worthwhile strategy, right? Once you know those those three things, uh, then you can create that strategy and it puts you in the best place to secure the property. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with paying a, a fair price for a good property if you love it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, we've certainly learned uh, a lot, some insightful, some quite horrifying, to be honest, but you're always very open and genuine with your, your insights and, uh, and your advice. So thank you very much for joining us back on the show. Not a problem, Mike. Anytime. Cheers. Cheers.